Hello and welcome back to Captain's Notes for Young Leaders. I'm your host, Tyler Ross. Today we have a very special guest, one of my longtime friends and fellow Marine, Captain Nick Rosowski. Nick, welcome to the, to the show. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Appreciate so, being here. Absolutely. And Nick and I, uh, full disclosure, we go way back. have been friends, I think, since, what, 2006, Nick? It's been a long time. Yep. Um, so uh, we'll get into some of Nick's personal history, which in itself is pretty fascinating. Um but, you know, a little background on, on Nick. Uh, Nick is currently the company commander for uh, Bravo Company of 1st Battalion, 8th Marine Regiment. And as a rifle company, uh, Nick, for our non-military viewers, can you tell us what that means? Yeah, so I lead a infantry company. So it's about 150 to 200 Marines, depending on what stage you're at before a deployment. So, you know, currently... Uh, we're getting ready to deploy on a Marine Expedition Unit deployment aboard uh, Navy ships. So, with the company, I have about 240 Marines total, and whether in support or directly in my company, that's just a mix of riflemen, uh, machine gunners, your typical kind of like GI Joe mix of uh, you know guys trying to get after it, help good people, and uh, you know keep bad people away from uh, the good people. So. In uh, in layman's terms, Nick leads a company of badasses. So, <laughs> uh, trying to get him there. Yeah, they're good. They're good guys. Yeah, awesome, awesome. So, um, and I will say, you know, for those of you listening who may not have any military affiliation, uh, I I would say as a Marine officer, especially you know with Nick as an infantry officer, leading a rifle company uh, is kind of nirvana junior officers who Nick is living his best life right now as a Marine officer preparing his rifle company for deployment. Um, so that's awesome, Nick. And thanks for taking time out of your busy training schedule to talk to me today. I know you guys just got back from ship doing workups. Um, so hopefully that went well, but uh, I think today we have a very, uh, a very tough topic to talk about. And fortunately for Nick and I, I think with the way that you know, we went to college and, and came up as junior officers in the Marines, we've experienced this a lot. It may not be something that many people experience until later in their career, or it could be something you experience right off the bat. Um, but the topic is peer leadership and how to lead among your peers, which can be incredibly challenging. And I think what I'd like to do is focus on two different aspects of it. So we'll talk about, you know, our experiences leading, like actually leading peers where we are in charge of a group of people at the same pay scale or rank or uh, level as we are. And then we'll talk about something that happens pretty frequently in the Marine Corps, um, you know, getting promoted, or really the military in general, getting promoted, uh, or you're leaving a cadre of friends to an extent. You're promoted now, you outrank them, but you still obviously want to maintain that relationship without, you know, breaking chain of command and breaking customs and courtesies. You see that a lot in the civilian world as well. Um, so we'll dive into that. I think it's a very important topic, especially for young leaders, because you may experience this early in your career. Um, but first, Nick, you know, I think just as fascinating as the subject matter is your personal history. And we've been friends for half our lives and know a lot about each other. But uh, you, you definitely have a very unique story as uh, you know, your journey to the United States and to the U.S. military. So do you mind just kind of talking a little bit about your background and, and where you've come from and what you've done so far. Yeah. So I'm a, before I was in the military, I was a professional immigrant. Um, so 
born in Moscow, Russia, uh, back in the Soviet days. My family did not have the greatest time under the USSR. So, you know, my grandparents aren't actually Russian. They were in what used to be Czechoslovakia, ended up, you know, as a Soviet uh, Ukraine and then, you know, became an independent country. So we were in Moscow. We were uh, living in Moscow. And then my, you know, as soon as the Iron Curtain fell, we decided to move as far west as possible and still maintain kind of like the cultural ties to you know the slavic culture and you know things that my family was comfortable in so ended up going kind of back home to currently uh western ukraine and the Carpathian mountains uh lived there for a few years and then made our way to the czech republic where i went to school and kind of grew up in czech republic uh my grandpa has some ties with the uh, czechs he's worked there knows the language so we you know kind of grew up there my family split up when I was young, still in Moscow. So my mom ended up remarrying um, a American, uh, and we moved to the United States in 2000. So, you know, I just got my feet under me in the United States, um, started learning the language, and then you know, 9/11 happened. You know, within a year of me uh, being in the United States, so it was a kind of formative moment. Um, and, you know, looking at just contrasting the opportunities I've had since coming to the U.S. and comparing that to like where my family was, you know, a decade, two decades ago, a generation ago, um, you know, kind of start going towards uh, military service as my you know, primary career option. So, you know, once I got to another, um, you know, ended up living in Maryland, saw the Naval Academy, decided like, hey, this, this is probably the way to go and, you know, do the military thing. Didn't know much about it. Once and you know, was fortunate enough to get in the Naval Academy. Um, you know, kind of job search like we all did in the Naval Academy, trying to figure out what to do, and ended up um, with what I thought was the purest kind of manifestation of leadership as a Marine, where it's just you know my my Marines are my product, and you know my success or failure, uh, as opposed to the other professions in the Navy. Nothing against them, but I just think it's a much more simple, much more elegant. Uh, you know, organization as far as like leading people. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, it's the difference in the mission too. Right. And, and, you know, obviously every part of the military plays an important role and we love our Navy brothers and sisters, 70% of the world's covered in water. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, I definitely saw that from day one where you gravitated towards like, you know, what we call in, in the military, the point of friction, right. And the point of friction is, at some point, you need to have dudes on the ground willing to, you know, do the dirty work to protect America and her interests. And, and that's always where you gravitated towards. So I definitely was not surprised <laughs> when you joined me as a Marine ground selectee. Yeah, it was a good day. Yeah, man. Um, so and, and we'll talk real quick because obviously this is fascinating. We could do a whole topic on your background. And I know a lot about it, but it's awesome to hear you talk about it because, you know, the more I mean, you got to think about that, guys, like. You know, Nick came here in 2000. In 2006, he accepted an appointment to the Naval Academy. I mean, you know, one interesting thing about the military, um, you know, there's many different ways to kind of become an American citizen or to really earn your citizenship here in the United States as an immigrant. Um, Nick, I think you probably chose the hardest possible way, and that's by you know, being willing to risk your life for it, which is something you still do today. Um, so clearly, I mean, you must have really been you know, impressed by just the society and maybe the change. Could you talk to, I know the focus is pure leadership, but I'm so interested. Could you talk a little bit about you know, what, 
what was that motivator as well? You know, looking back at your history as a kid in Eastern Europe, um, and then, you know, your decision ultimately to join the military. Was it was it purely pragmatic as a as a job, or you know, was that you had some patriotism that you were able to build over those first couple of years here? It's a little bit of everything, Tyler. So, growing up, I mean, I was always drawn towards you know the toy guns. Uh, you know, I remember, I still remember to this day going to a Red Army parade. Um, in Moscow and, you know, watching. It's a very impressive feat. And you got, you know, the flyovers of the MiGs, you have the tanks. And, you know, as a kid, that that's awesome. Like, between, like, garbage trucks and tanks, those things are awesome. <laughs> so, remember, like, being in the Red Square, like, playing, being able to sit inside a tank. Um, that was a, you know, very impressionable time for me. Obviously, they're all military. Um, but, anyway, as I grew up, I was always drawn towards the the action movies, the, you know, I watched Jag when I was a kid and the Czech Republic still was dubbed over, um, which probably sounded very awkward now, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, that's the Navy. Like, that's what they do. So I, it, that may have influenced me somewhat. And then just looking at again, you know, where I am now, where I've, where I came to in the United States and the contrast between where, you know, the privilege I have today and, you know, those, th- those are the things that, like, my family couldn't even dream about, you know, 20, 30 yeah. years ago. So, well, and I think I've always, one thing, obviously, you and I are, are like, you know, real close. And, and I know a lot about you and your, your family history. And, you know, our, our wives are friends. And we'll also talk about the fact that Nick is a brand new daddy, which is awesome. Um, and I, but I kind of look at, we, our families have somewhat shared history where, you know, you did this in your lifetime, but maybe a generation or two back, my family kind of went through the same thing, immigrating from Slovakia um, to the United States and emigrating right before World War II. And then having some of my family members join uh, the army and the Navy at that time to go fight you know, against the Germans and, and uh, the Japanese, uh, barely knowing the country themselves, which is to me just fascinating how, you know, you, you are willing to just, jump right in and, and put your money where your mouth is to an extent. I mean, that's awesome. And it, obviously we all have our different paths to the military, all of us who have served. And I think for me, you know, I, my dad was a career force guy and I was fortunate to spend a lot of my time just like Nick growing up uh, in the national capital region around DC and, you know, knew the Naval Academy the same way Nick did because we were in Maryland and just kind of was gravitated towards it. Um, but it's just, I mean, it always fascinated me, dude. So just want to say, first of all, thank you for your service and we continue uh, to do for our country. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been a great, great ride so far. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and you're still. And I think still finally, I think the reason I joined finally is also just I just don't like being in debt to people. So in, in a way, like I want to earn my citizenship and not be ever questioned about that. Like, hey, you have free privilege that you didn't earn. Like, I want to earn those privileges, and you know you know, pay that forward to my, you know, my son and my future generation. So that's really another reason I joined. I think it's, it's probably one of the bigger ones just to you know, know that, like earn it and then, you know, enjoy it afterwards. Wow. Yeah. That's man. That's awesome. That is awesome. So man, you just gave me chills, dude. That's, that's fantastic. So yeah, again, you know, thank you for what you do, brother. Um, I think that is a good segue into you talking about earning it. And I think uh, one of the ways that, uh, could be probably the most difficult way to earn respect. And we talked about respect in this podcast before. Um, one of the most difficult ways to earn respect is to earn respect from your peers, right? So you and I were fortunate uh, at the academy. You know, since 2007, we've been in some form 
of peer leadership situation where either you're leading by example um, or you are actually no kidding, like a squad leader, fire team leader, whatever, all the way up to company commander. Um, or you're put in situations where, you know, you need to be the spokesperson for a group and, and stand on your morals. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what what is your first recollection either military or maybe before, I know you were involved in sports and everything in high school as well, of having to be a leader among your peers. And what was that like? Good question. So I think cross country was the first time I was kind of put on the spotlight. Um, and it, it's, it's like you said, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. And there's no, there's no textbook, especially in high school, there's no textbook on how to do these things. And you don't know what you don't know. So like being a, I think I was like a, assistant captain for like long distance team and track. I was one of the seniors in cross country, kind of setting the direction, setting the tone for our team um, back in high school. So it, you just fumble around and, you know, and it, like you said, like trust and respect is what you need. So I think setting the example first and being the guy that people want to follow and emulate is going to be important. So, you know, in sports, you want to be a guy who actually performs that way people want to listen to you. If you're underperforming, do they have the trust that your judgment, that your suggestions hold any any weight? Um, so I think it's that. Uh, the Naval Academy, honestly, I avoided leadership for the first few years. I was not comfortable um, just, you know, putting myself out there. Yeah, and that, I mean, that is kind of a daunting thing. I was going to say, you know, I was thinking about my first time, you know, as a peer leader. I think it was, for me, when I was a junior, we went to, I, I was really fortunate. My high school had an exchange program and I was able to go to Austria for a few weeks um, as part of my German class. And I was like, I was like tagged to be like the lead, uh, you know, student in a group as we were walking through Salzburg because um, pretty you know, large city and kind of crowded. And, you know, it was, we were 16, 17 year olds and obviously we had adults with us, but just in case we got separated, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I've got the cell phone, I've got the contact list, like I'm the guy who needs to keep everyone together. And there was actually a point where we were going past, I remember this vividly, we were going past Mozart's old house. And we went in and it's kind of like you walk through it and it's kind of like a moving kind of museum where you like, you go in, but you got to keep moving because there's a lot of people behind you and you go through and see where he, like his harpsichord, where he first played and like where all these important compositions happened and whatever. And then you leave. Well, some of the dudes uh, lagged behind, so we had to go back and get them. And by the time we came back out of the house, some of the adults had already kept walking, not knowing that we weren't behind them. So, like, I think that was my first moment where I was like, okay, these guys are getting a little nervous because we're in a foreign country, in a foreign city. We don't know where our adults are. Like, we're trying to, you know, not get lost here in Austria. And, like, had to, you know, kind of, like, calm myself down, like, go over to a corner, pull out the you know, the little uh, phone list and figure out how to use a foreign cell phone and like, you know, get us back in touch and figure out, try to orient myself in the strange city. And I think to your point, Nick, um, you know, we were able to, obviously we were fine. We made it home safely and we, we reconnected with these guys in like just a few minutes, but it felt like an eternity because it was a little bit scary. Um, and, you know, the way that I think I helped us get through that is I wasn't panicking. Right. I'm like 16 and it is scary. I'm kind of like freaking out thinking about all the bad stuff that could happen if we don't find these people quickly. And, but like, it was like, all right, let's just go through the checklist and it helped calm the other guys down. And that 
I think looking back, I think you're right. It's kind of like leading by example, no matter what type of leadership it is, is probably always the most effective way to go. Because whether it's your peers seeing how you perform or, you know, your actual subordinates, you know, evaluating you as a leader, the only way you can truly gain respect is by leading by example and showing the example that they should strive to be. And so in that case, it was, let's just calm down for a second and not panic. Um, looking back is kind of funny. I think that probably was my first, my first effort doing that. But so, you know, transitioning back to the Academy, you know, I, I think you're right too. I think I was very hesitant in the first year or two to, to put myself out there. I mean, you, you go to this very prestigious institution. I think we all have that mindset. And now that we've graduated, we can admit it, right? We all have that mindset. Like, am I good enough? Like I got in, but am I good enough to make it through? Right. Cause there's so much mystique, and history and tradition coming out of Annapolis. I mean, so many of America's leaders, you know, come from Annapolis. Um, it was daunting to me, at least, Nick, maybe for you too, to, to try to like want to stand out. Because for a while there, I was just trying to find my footing and make sure this is where I belong. I mean, would you agree with that? Is that how you felt too? That's a great point, Dollar. I was in survival mode the first few years. I was doing well in high school. Um, but just like you said, like, am I good enough to be there? I mean, you might be the top of your class, but then like you take the best guys from and girls from every state that are selected for the Naval Academy and put them in there. Like there's some very smart dudes, uh, that, you know, you and I know, I mean, there's guys like building subs, building rockets, whatever else. Um, and there's just, you know, me with my grades. So like, I think it took me a while to figure out why I belong and, that's what, like, I think at that point, like, my, the switch turned on. And I was, I, I was like, okay, I can function now. But uh, definitely, it was not a natural segue into, you know, peer or otherwise, you know, leadership uh, at the academy. So that's, uh, that's a good point, though. So let's talk about TBS because we all go through peer leadership at TBS. In fact, one of the most, I think, controversial and stressful aspects of TBS is our peer evaluations, right? So. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, um, as Marine officers, you know, once you become commissioned in the Marine Corps as a second lieutenant, the first stop for everybody is Quantico, Virginia at the basic school, which we call TBS, the basic school. And it's part of the Marines, Marine Corps ethos where no matter what your secondary job is, whether you're logistics like I was, whether you're infantry like Nick is, if you're a lawyer, a pilot, anything, we all go through six months of basic infantry school. So that no matter what, you can go sub in for a grunt on the ground. You can go, you, know, you can go be effective in combat, doing the purest mission of the Marine Corps, which is infantry combat on the ground, face to face. So we all go through this, um, and it's again, I think for me, challenging. Right? We, we, you, me, Nick, we were on the same schedule. We both worked so hard to become Marines. Here we are. We're finally Marines, and you're still wanting to prove yourself. And then there's this added little element, which I swear they put in there just to be sadomasochist, of uh, peer evaluations that you get. I think it was like monthly. Was it monthly, Nick? I believe it was that. I think it was weekly, at least. At least for the first portion. It depends by company, I think. But we had weekly peer evals. I think you're right. Okay, so you're right. So, yes, and it's six months long. So, basically, what that is, it's like it almost feels like a popularity contest where you go in on on at least when we were there on like a computer system and like literally rank all of your company mates from like or platoon mates from like one to 40 for who's the best and who's the worst you can put little comments in there for why you said that 
um, that's pretty challenging because that actually has weight in what you end up uh, selecting for your specialty, right? So if you, um, you have very poor pure evals, you may not get your first or second or even third choice of MOS, which is your occupational specialty, because, I mean, that's a big part of the Marine Corps is being able to lead your peers. So uh, from what you remember about that, Nick, t- tell me about your experience with peer evals at CBS. Good question. So, you know, after a while, you, you kind of establish your roles and your positions in the platoon. Uh, and that's just based on you know, your confidence, competence, and your trust uh, that was given to you over time. Um, so af- after a while, I mean, th- those things didn't change very much. So you probably had, you know, a few weeks to establish, like, who's where, where you fall out. Um, and then that changed a little bit once we started going to the field, doing the field evaluations and you know, our tactical evaluations um, with our attacks, our patrolling. Uh, but I think that was kind of set. You know, guys and girls made a determination of like who's who fits where within the last you know, first month or so. And that's where you stayed for the most part. So and again, that's, so guys make a quick judgment of where you're at. That's just based on how you carry yourself, so, your the example you said, and just you know, your perceived competence. So, does that answer your question? So that first impression is hugely important. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we that's, that's what we've talked about in other episodes. Is I mean, yeah, unfortunately, especially as a new leader with a new team, you have a very small window to make that good first impression. But Nick, I think where I saw a lot of people fail is you know, by actually looking at it as a, as a, as a popularity contest, right. Where it's the difference between being liked and being respected. And we, we had, I will not name names. We had this one uh, young lady in my platoon who she was, she was you know, like just a cool person, like a really interesting, really cool, just funny. Um, definitely like Miss popular from high school type person. And, you know, we all really liked her when we were going through, you know, uh, our initial coursework and the way that TBS is structured is the first, you know, I don't know, maybe month or so is pretty much exclusively like classroom training. So like you're in the classroom learning basics. And then after about a month, you go to the field, which is, you know, you basically go out to the woods for a week um, and then you go practically apply what you've learned. And you end up doing that with five or six times throughout the six months, about once a month you go to the field. And um, so the first couple of weeks, you know, we're doing evaluations and she's ranking very highly because, we all like her a lot. Like we haven't really seen her challenge though, but you know, you're looking at it as a popularity contest to an extent, but then we go to the field and it, she's like, unfortunately struggling. And I know she took that very hard because she realized that she was starting to lose our confidence in her, um, which you could see in our pure evals, you know? So I will say the first impression from my experience is very important, but it's also important that you make a good first impression for the right reasons Otherwise, it's going to be plastic in the long run, right? And that goes back to the difference between being liked and being respected. I think the person that we ultimately ended up voting, you know, number one um, for our our class or our platoon uh, was kind of the more quiet professional type who didn't do a lot of talking. You know, wasn't like a very vocal, outwardly outspoken person, but we just saw just consistent performance out of him over time and just realized at the end of six months that, yeah, this is the dude that if I had one guy that I was going to follow into combat, I think this is, this is who I would choose. So I think 
you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that's important in peer leadership and anywhere else is, is just remembering it's still more important to be respected than liked, even when you're talking about, you know, a group of your peers and not just subordinates. Would you I agree totally with that? agree, Tyler. So you kind of brought some good points. So it, first impressions are huge. That is literally the first time people see you. They make up a lot of their opinions about you right there. But also, you know, it's, it's how you carry yourself, your attitude going forward. And then it's performance under stress that really cements or throws out that first impression, right? Because like you said, you know, the classroom life, it's easy. Hey, like you wake up, you sweep the hallways, you get to class on time, you take your quizzes or whatever we had. And then like, that's your day. So anybody can, you know, perform well during that time. It's what happens when, you know, it's raining on you. It's 40 degrees outside what's happening when you haven't slept in a day and you still have to make good decisions and lead your uh, platoon. And uh, it's how you react to that stuff, how you react to the hard things and whether you hold up or not. That's what made a difference for many of us uh, in TBS and even you know, to this day, really. And I think, and so to Nick's point, you know, and then we'll move on from TBS, but hey, you have peer evals, which is one part of it. But then, I mean, literally what you have at TBS is you have a platoon, which is about 40 folks. We're all the same rank, right? And we go through these student billets where, you know, on a weekly basis, we rotate, okay, somebody new is the platoon commander, somebody new is the platoon sergeant, somebody new are the squad leaders, someone new are the fire team leaders. And you rotate through. So at some point, everybody gets a leadership role where, okay, you're a second lieutenant, I'm a second lieutenant, but I'm the platoon commander now, and you're just a GP, you know, Marine. And like, how do you handle that? Right. That's tough. And I thought that was one of the best exercises that we did. I love going to the field, but I think like constantly have, cause then eventually you recycle back and now, and eventually maybe you're a platoon commander one week and then you have to recycle back and then you're just like a squad leader. So is that an ego shot to you? If you treated the dudes well, when you were platoon commander, they're going to treat you well when they're in a leadership position over you. And I think one thing I learned from that is, you know, mutual respect is an important thing, you know, between peers and also from, leader to subordinate subordinate you just can't dictate to people like you have to have respect up the chain of command and down the chain of command because at the end of the day you know we're, we're all trying to accomplish the same mission i mean i thought that was genius i love the way that we had that structured looking back i think in the moment it was probably a little bit frustrating and stressful but i think i learned a lot of good lessons out of that structure um that served us well in the fleet so uh, let's move on to the fleet then nick so i think this is where i'd like to branch off and talk a little bit about you know, peer leadership as in, you know, let's talk about promotions. So you uh, have definitely been a captain longer than I was. I was promoted to captain and then got out about a year later. Uh, Nick has been a captain for what, maybe four going on five years now, right? I think that's right, yeah. So can you tell us about your transition from lieutenant to captain and how that may have affected your relationships with your fellow lieutenants? Yeah, that's a good question. So when I promoted, I was actually the junior, one of the junior guys in my cohort. At the time I was promoted, I was a uh, staff planner in uh, Spain. Our unit used to support, basically prevent other Benghazis from happening. So a lot of Department of State and Embassy integration and support. Uh, so I was one of the junior guys there. So everybody was a captain already um, in my in my area. So I, I promoted to my peer group, but beforehand I was I was a junior guy. So, and with my friends, they were still, we're still, I was still close to you as a um, captain who were lieutenants. Um, you know, it's, it's really just 
act like you would normally. You know, the rank is the rank, but it doesn't mean you have to treat people differently. Responsibilities change, and I'm sure you know as a Marine, but, you know, lieutenant is when you when you make your mistakes, and it's funny, and it's a learning experience, and it's okay. Like, you crashed the truck, you lost something, but you found it. You made a questionable decision, but it was meant well. So at that point, like you get a lot of like slaps on the wrist and a lot of learning experiences, like I call it learning through adventure as a captain. Now those things have consequences. So that was probably the biggest change uh, during that promotion is like, okay, like now if I take a wild guess at something and I'm wrong now, I own that. And it's not just say, Hey, do better next time type thing. So that's what I learned. Um, as far as, uh, you know, promoting, outside of my peer group. I was actually very much segregated from my peer group at that point, so I did not experience a lot of that um, when I was promoted, honestly. Yeah, and I think for me, it was a little bit different too because, you know, to put into context for folks who, you know, weren't in the Marine Corps or are not, so um, there's a thing in the Officer Corps called career designation, um, and basically what that means is after a certain amount of time, the Marine Corps, uh, as a as a whole, uh, decides whether or not they're going to keep you around. You know, and and that usually happens when you are like a first lieutenant, which is the second officer rank, and it's dependent upon your fitness reports and you know your uh, your service history, um, even things. You know, obviously your your height and weight standards. All this stuff goes into play, and there's a board that convenes and says, okay. This guy's done three years um, so far. We want to keep him around. We're going to extend him the offer or her the offer to stay in longer. Or, hey, you know, thanks for your service. We're going to go ahead and cap you at your contract, which usually is four years. And Nick, in my case, it was five years of active service because um, of where we went to college. So uh, I had been offered career designation. Uh, I had just come back from Afghanistan and we started our family and decided I was going to gracefully bow out and, and take my five years and, and great experiences and transition to the civilian world. The unique thing there was when I did that, I still had a year and a half left of service. So I kind of knew for the last year and a half that I was getting out that my days were numbered. Now, certainly that doesn't mean that I pushed any less hard, but that does mean that when I became a captain, I think, you know, my interactions with those peers that I had just left after being promoted probably a little bit different than what Nick's experienced because, you know, I, I, I was on the way out. So I, I did not have to really strictly hold to the, you know, the rank structure too much. And really given this place that I was working at that time, we were all very close knit anyway. Um, but certainly, you know, the customs and courtesies are still there. It's very weird, uh, you know, walking past a group of your friends and you're a captain and they're a lieutenant and they have to salute you and call you sir and all that stuff. Certainly more rigid in the military than in the civilian world, but, I think even that, Nick, like that was even kind of weird for me. Like, like kids kind of tough to take that seriously. But then as a Marine, you realize you still got to uphold, you know, the, the uh, customs and courtesies yeah. of the service. I think the better question is, you know, like right now, this is my going on my second deployment with my current unit. Uh, some of my peers from last deployment actually promoted because they were a little more senior than I was. And now they're majors. I'm a captain. So it's uh, that's what I'm going through right now. It's not bad, you know. We're still peers. We're still boys from the last deployment. So in some ways, like behind closed doors, you know, is it first name basis? It is. And it's a lot more informal uh, up front with, you know, in meetings during like formal action, like you're still sir. And I'm, I'm still, you know, a subordinate, obviously. 
But that's another thing to understand, kind of like yeah. the, the formal and informal relationships uh, within the workplace. You know, that that's something we worked through in the last year. Uh, like right now, the my peer from last deployment is actually evaluating me during a lot of the pre-deployment training. So, you know, is it is it game on during valuation? Absolutely. You know, do we talk about, you know, the last command we had, the last experience we had together when, you know, behind closed doors? Absolutely. So there's that. You just got to be able to understand like what context you're in and who's looking at you during, you know, whatever you're doing. So, you know, like the guy that's fighting right now, again, he was a fellow company commander last year. We have a good relationship. You know, we talk a lot still. And then, but, you know, at the end of the day, he, he is the guy that gives me a thumbs up or thumbs down on whether my company's ready to deploy. So it's, it's just understanding the context of uh, where you are and what's going on with your peers or your former peers. Yeah, and that's a great point, Nick, because we're talking about it from the perspective primarily of the person who has to be the good peer leader. But, I mean, to, to your point, on the flip side, that happens too. And, and I think what I know, the way that I get around that awkwardness is, like, sometimes a subordinate, the one who didn't get promoted yet, is the one who has to really, like, solidify that change. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I found myself, whenever my, my friends got promoted to captain – I found myself as a lieutenant, like trying to make it less awkward by saying sir a bunch and like, like, like kind of pushing that a little bit in the public eye. A, so people didn't think that I was getting favoritism, even though they knew we were friends, but B, because I knew I could feel like this is going to be awkward for him. So I'm going to make it less awkward by just, you know, going at it and being like, yes, sir, no, sir. But obviously, like you said, behind closed doors, you're still buddies. Um, but especially in front of the Marines, in front of you, and that, that goes for the regular, the civilian workforce as well. You know, in front of your subordinates, they need to see you leading by example. And the military is hugely uh, important. What's one hugely important thing is customs and courtesies, because that's what maintains discipline. Um, so your junior Marines or, or uh, team members need to see you showing that same respect to your superiors, even if you have a close personal relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. So that has not been too difficult in my area, but again, it's, it's important. Like it'll also help that, you know, your superior, it also help them lead. And, you know, if, if you show them the deference that, you know, their position has, it, it helps them. So, you know, in some, in some ways, leadership is your environment. It is you and it is the people you lead or people who follow you. So, you know, you got to be a good follower to to be a good leader. So understanding that those roles and where you fall out is uh, very important, whether it's in the military with, you know, in the civilian setting as well. So, yep. Yeah. No, com- completely agree with you, Nick. And I think one more, um, one more example here, we'll kind of wrap up, but we, we've talked a lot about our military experience. Obviously Nick and I, um, a lot of our shared history is in the military, whether in college or in the Marine Corps. Um, but, you know, as an example here as a civilian, you know, I've, I've now been it's crazy, Nick. I've been a civilian for four and a half years now, um, which is insane. But <laughs> but uh, especially because it's just like you remember it so vividly the military. Um, but I think one thing I've encountered here with peer leadership is uh, a lot different from the military. I, I was fortunate, you know, at a young age, 27, I got promoted. I became, um, I went from a manager to a director. And, you know, I would say in terms of like military, that's almost like going from like a lieutenant to like a major or like lieutenant colonel, like overnight. And that was kind of, 
it was great for me, great for my family. Um, you know, nice little pay bump, and we got to to move from Wilmington to Charlotte to a great place for our family, and it's a job I really enjoy. But I think it's the I struggled more with peer leadership in that move than I ever did in the military because I went from, you know, being yeah maybe a fairly young to mid level age manager to being the youngest director in a company of thirty thousand people, and now I've got peers who are no kidding like 60 and i'm like 27 um at that time and that was super awkward like no kidding that was super awkward and we talked about this i think in the first episode i mean there definitely is as a young leader that you can't ignore it there is sometimes the element of um you know ageism where people you know, think that maybe you don't deserve to be in a certain position because you don't have as much experience as they do or you, you aren't as old as they are because people naturally, I think humans naturally think there should be a linear progression. And if you didn't follow the linear progression, then, you know, maybe something, something is wrong with you or, you know, maybe you're too good to be true or there's just this natural tendency to not believe in your abilities if you didn't follow the same path that, that maybe is the normal path. So for me, that was very challenging. I think the only way that I could do it, I definitely felt like I had to prove myself. Like as soon as I got here, I was like, okay, now I got to prove why I just got promoted. Um, and I think the way that I've found success so far now being a director for four years is just, just the same lessons that Nick and I just talked about. It doesn't matter if it's military or not. The military exacerbates it because there is a, a formal customs and courtesy and chain of command and rank structure. In the civilian world, it's a little bit less formal. We definitely have a ranked structure, but it's not as stringent. You know what I mean? Like I'm on a first name basis with, you know, our CEO, which you would never do in the military. You do it once. Right. Um, So there's different. Yeah. You can do, (laughs) you can do it once and you'll never do it again. (laughs) But it's, uh, it, that, I mean, dude, that was tough. That was tough. Like I got 60 year old peers and they're like, all right, what is this young, young buck? Like, what does he bring into the table? And dude, all I all I did and way I found success is just try to be a quiet professional and just you know let your actions speak louder than words. And that that has served me well. Um, and I think I learned those lessons from the military. So I would say, no matter where you are, what industry, that that advice of just actions speak louder than words and and try to lead by example, however you you know whenever and however you can, um, no matter what the context will serve well. So Nick, I know we've been on for a while now. Any any parting thoughts or anything for the yeah, listeners. I mean, at the end of the day, leadership is leadership. It doesn't matter if you're leading peers, subordinates, or up. You're you're trying to influence outcomes, um, you know, above you in your company or your uh, organization. It's still leadership, and the same things apply. I mean, it's it's confidence, competence, and trust plus your attitude over time, and that's where people start trusting you. They start valuing your opinion, and they start you know siding with you on issues that you know hopefully have a positive outcome in your company. So it's still leadership. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, if you're put in a comfortable position of, uh, you know, having peers that are, you know, as far as like their time in the organization is much greater than yours. Again, it's just voice who you are, what you're doing, why you're here, basically your altruistic motive and you know, in your position, you're not just out for yourself. And then, you know, let your actions let your actions, you know, just reinforce that. And I think a- after a while, they'll start being comfortable. You know, in the infantry and really in the military, we'll have our enlisted advisors 
who are, they're not necessarily my peers, but, you know, my company gunner sergeant is my senior tactical advisor. He is, you know, I'm 31, getting old. He is 40. He's been, you know, in the Marine Corps for almost two decades. My first sergeant, my senior enlisted advisor, has been in the Marine Corps for, you know, close to two, de- two decades. And I have to lead them. So it's also understanding, like, what you can learn from your peers um, to make yourself better, make your decisions better as well. So that's, that's another challenge, uh, probably for different podcasts, but uh, that's another thing. You know, it's, it's leading, leading your peers, but also leading guys uh, who are next to you, who are actually far more experienced than you are as well. So, Yeah, and actually, you know, obviously I think we're going to have to have Captain Brzezowski back um, because this was fantastic. And I think there's a lot more we can talk about. Um, there was a podcast if you want to listen to it uh it is um the podcast from a few episodes ago about being liked versus being respected and i kind of touch on that a little bit where you know you want to make sure that you hold those senior subordinates close because they're going to be you know your best asset in learning your craft and, and becoming a better leader quickly but i think we probably should dedicate a whole episode so i might have to have captain rosofsky back here but um Nick, really appreciate it, man. As always, it's great to chat with you, and thanks for taking time. I know you're busy with your pre-deployment workups and everything um, and being a new daddy and everything going on at home. But I uh, just want to say thanks, man. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate Hi, it. Thanks for having me. Again, we'll probably chat in the next few days again. But, uh, again, it's an honor being the podcast. It's my first podcast. So it's very exciting. Um, and, again, I think you're doing a very good service for a lot of young young professionals that don't have, don't really have a school to go to for leadership. They have their, they have their technical expertise, but they're not really sure how to apply that to influence better outcomes. So I think your podcast is important. Uh, I hope it does very well and just I'll, you know, keep promoting it. And, uh, you know, for the young professionals out there, like listen and, you know, take, take points from Tyler. Again, it's very, it's very influential, influential and beneficial to the younger professionals because again, there's no, we take leadership classes in college and, you know, undergrad or, you know, during business school. But again, it's, it's important, like hear from experience and see what works, what doesn't work. And uh, yeah, I think you're doing a phenomenal job, man, between like your real, your real job, your family, uh, and just, you know, especially right now, you're probably busy with the COVID vaccine uh, rollout. So again, like hugely appreciate what you're doing for the, people out there and uh thanks for having me thanks brother yeah that means more to me than you know so um all right we, we will wrap it up and we'll talk again soon and remember age is a mindset but leadership is a calling Come on.